You're listening to 06 Answers, where every week we interview a different member from the West Point class of 2006. When you ask 06 questions, you'll get 06 Answers. Welcome back to the 06 Answers podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wang, and I'm joined here in person with Mike Mode. Now, Mike is originally from San Antonio, Texas, and he's currently serving as a Lieutenant Colonel, Chief of the Security Cooperation Branch for U.S. SOCOM, based out of McDill in Tampa, Florida. Mike was in H1 as a plebe and A3 as an upperclassman. I want to thank you for joining the show today, Mike. How are things going down in Florida right now for you? It's still warm down here, Matt. <laughs> Thanks for still asking. Still warm. I, <laughs> I know. We were just talking you know, about my trip recently to Florida, and uh, I feel like sometimes it's the Wild West down there compared to, to New York. But um, what's been your experience so far in Florida, and how long have you been there so far? Yeah, good question. So we moved here last summer. We were living overseas in Israel for a couple of years, and I got to be honest with you, we didn't want to move to Florida, but you know, the way the assignment cycle works out, we landed here in Florida and we're now happy that we're here. It's growing on us slowly. We live in the South Tampa area, which is pretty close to the base. So uh, that was a deliberate decision to maybe get a home that cost more so that I had less of a drive to and from work. I was cautioned that the traffic is terrible in and out of uh, McDill. So I think our life is better than maybe some. But the network here is great. The community is great. It's, it's growing on us. And we're planning on staying here after I retire and until my kids are done with high school. Nice. And I remember, you know, I just said that you're originally from San Antonio, Texas. That's how you entered West Point. But can you tell us a little bit more about your background and, you know, which coast do you prefer? East Coast, West Coast, or kind of all over? Oh, man, that's a tricky question. I was actually born and raised in California. I lived there until eighth grade, finished at eighth grade, and then my parents moved us to Texas. And I went to high school in San Antonio, and my family still remains in San Antonio, but the second I could leave, like graduated high school, and moments later, I was on a plane going to New Jersey to join my fellow preppsters before making our way up to New York for, for our academy days. What do I prefer? Man, they both have their cool styles. Like, we... <laughs> We lived in Monterey. I got to go to a Naval Postgraduate School to get my master's. So those those 18 months in Monterey Bay were so nice. Like the weather is awesome and made our way through California from SoCal up to NorCal. Like reliving my, my youth there, but showing my kids all the cool stuff that California has to offer and, you know, going to ski and, and visiting all the cool parks. So like we, we loved California. We would do it all over again, but it's expensive, man. And people are kind of they're kind of different in California. Like I can say that because I was born there, but, and they're different in Florida too. So I don't know. I still prefer Texas, to be honest with you. That's the answer. Final, my final answer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we'll get a lot of responses from all the classmates here, oh, either yeah. from California or from Texas or even from the East Coast. So yeah, I think we'll those three, those back. three states are like the big contributors to West Point, right? Like everybody's from those three. Yeah, that and then they either end up back in California or North Carolina or, you know, I'm sure we have other classmates in other states. So you guys have to reach out to us so we can uh, hear their stories. Speaking about California, you know, classmates, you recently reconnected with Derek Kenmotsu, if I recall. And can I you did. share a little bit more about like how you guys, you know, found each other at this conference? I listened to the podcast that he was on with you maybe two weeks before I had to head out to Hawaii for a, for a short conference. And there I am sitting in the conference, kind of in the back row, just being a, a good observer. And I look over and I see Derek sitting there. I'm like, man, that's awesome. So Derek walks right in front of me on his way out because I was just going to stay for a stay behind with somebody else. And we, we connected like briefly. And Derek's, 
Derek said, let's spend some time like getting caught up and all that. And I said, Derek, we don't need to get caught up, man. I know everything about you, dude. <laughs> like you need, you maybe need to hear my story, but I don't need to hear yours. So we didn't have a lot of time to chat at that conference. So we scheduled a call shortly after we got back from that, from that conference and uh, spent like an hour just like really getting caught up on what everybody's up to besides the stuff I already knew about him. No, that's awesome to hear. And I feel like he still owes us this intimate dinner uh, event among classmates. So that way he can show off his uh, culinary skills. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember that. I, said, I love cooking. And he's got, a, he's got a great job. I think he's making some bucks. He could, he could afford to put us all up for dinner. There you go. <laughs> Just mess it, Derek. All right, Derek. No, no, no pressure. <laughs> right. Well, Mike, maybe we'll get into the questions with you. And I'll jump into question one. So what I've been asking all of our classmates for the first question is, what's a core memory or story of yours from the West Point days that stands out? Yeah, perfect. So, I mean, I wanted to talk about all the things our classmates have already talked about, like the, the Central Square riots, like unforgettable. I actually spent some time after I heard several people mention it in their podcast, describing the event to my kids. And they they were like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, you had to be there. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a memorable moment of our uh, West Point experience. But the one I wanted to talk about, it actually involved just my roommate, Joe Davis, and I when we were in H1, uh, Root Dogs. So we were in Pershing Barracks, and our team leaders at the time, Doug Reynolds was my team leader, and Andy Weber, who unfortunately just passed in Ukraine, was Joe's team leader. So they were roommates, and we were roommates, so they got nods for both of, both of us. And I, could, I couldn't tell you what kind of nods they were. I think they were they're probably the seven deltas, like the monocle, but maybe they were the 14s. In any case, they said, okay, wait till, wait till it's dark, and then you guys just go, go explore the grounds. Go find places that you don't really get access to you know, during the school day, especially as plebes. So the second, you know, it got dark, we threw, we threw those things on and we like beat feet for the train tracks to go down the train, the train tunnel that goes underneath the academy. So we, we kind of farted around there for, you know, an hour or so. And then we just, we were trying to find places to go. And we ultimately ended up at Thayer Hall. And we were kind of skirting the, uh, the perimeter of Thayer Hall. We found this grate that was open. It was actually unlocked and open. So of course... We climb down to the bottom of this grate, and then there's these, like, I don't know, tunnels, I guess, like a tunnel system, extensive tunnel system underneath the academy grounds. And I'm just assuming a lot of our classmates already know about this, but there's no light down there for, like, maybe a tiny bit of ambient light. So the nods barely work. So Joe and I are holding on to each other, and we're walking through this <laughs> tunnel, and we get to this big opening, and there's more light in there, and then eventually it's lit up. There's, like, one light bulb in this area, and there's... I swear, man, there's a mountain of beer cans, like <laughs> probably a hundred thousand beer cans in there. And there's graffiti all over the walls and there's couches in there. And we were just kind of looking around like, who the heck comes down here? You know, we spent a little bit of time exploring that part of the tunnel. And then, uh, you know, maybe we had been underground for 45 minutes. We both decided, okay, I, this is enough. We've seen enough. So we make our way all the way back to where the entrance was and the grate is locked. So no we way. both freak out. We're like, oh my God, we're trapped underground. So, I mean, we holler, we're, we're yelling, but this is, I believe this is on a Friday night. And as you know, like it becomes like a ghost Like what time town. on a Friday night? Like close to taps or? No, no, no. It's probably, let's say 9 p.m. But okay. there's nobody around Thayer Hall at 9 p.m. Yeah. on a Friday, except for the guy who locked us in there. So we make our way back to kind of the room we were in trying to find another exit and there's nothing. 
So we decide to go farther down the tunnel and eventually we, we see a bit of ambient light above us, just like a tiny speck with the nods. Thank God we had the nods or we, we would have been completely lost. We see it's tiny speck of light. We climb up the ladder. There's a ladder there. And eventually we push the door open and we climb up into this tiny little closet. And now, you know, we assume that we're still under Thera Hall, but we can't be sure. So we both get in the closet. We close the door behind us, the, the floor door. And then the door to this janitor closet opens, and there we are in the middle middle of Thera Hall. So we kind of just <laughs> we run all the way for the exit, bust out of the exit, go back to our rooms, and then uh, I think like the next day, our team leaders came back to grab the nods from us, and they're like, "What'd you guys do?" And I don't think we even told them. We were like, "We just just explored the dark spaces of the academy." But uh, that's the only, like, that's the story I wanted to share with you. I think it was, like, very memorable for us as plebes. Like, we had some freedom to kind of run around the academy and act stupid, and we almost got stuck somewhere. Oh, my gosh. And now, you know, you guys are still alive here with, uh, you know, this story to share. How I got to ask, like, did you ever consider, you know, or, or, like, what did you and Joe think in terms of, like, what you just went through? Did you ever want to go back and revisit it? Or did you guys ever think about, like, what the, how the couches got there? no. To be fair, like there were some names that were spray painted on the walls of people that we knew. Oh, wow. I won't, I won't share what those names were at the time, but we, we thought that this place had been frequented often. Yeah. Though it was new to us, it it looks like there are plenty of cadets going in and out of that space. Now, maybe there was another way to get in, or maybe a cadet had the key to that, to that grate. I don't know. That remains a a mystery to us. And Joe and I have actually never talked about this since. So when, (laughs) when we parted ways, when I went to A3, Yuck here, and then I think he went to B3, we never talked about it again. And, and to this day, like, I may be the first person that's ever mentioned this story to anybody. <laughs> and now you're sharing with all our classmates. Well, I feel like we do have a, a game now on our hands for the 20-year reunion. We have to make a, a, a way to go back down there with nods and see if the path still exists or something. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> Well, nice. Thanks for, for sharing that story, Mike. Uh, I'll make sure to get Joe on, on the podcast to also hear his perspective and what he thought. Maybe he thought he wasn't ever going to, to leave and you guys would be stuck overnight and then you would have to be in front of a board or something. Who, Who knows? knows? We'll his, per- his perspective could be completely <laughs> different from mine. Maybe he thought right? it was, like the scariest thing or like the coolest thing that's ever happened to him. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I want to hear from Joe. All right. We'll get Joe. Mike, I'm going to pivot to question two. And this is something I've been asking our classmates that's more reflective. And since the West Point time, but what's something you're most proud of since graduation? So, you know, this is like the impossible question to narrow down to, to <laughs> one thing. So I'm going to take the yeah. safe road and first say that I'm incredibly proud of my family. My wife and I, Kelly, got married in December after, grad, after graduating. We're still married to this day, happily. Uh, and we have three beautiful children, a daughter, 15. She's driving right now under permit, 10th grader. Um, she's, she's excelling in life and she's becoming a woman, which is amazing to watch as a father and, and as a parent. And then I have two uh, younger boys, my namesake, who's 13, he's in seventh grade. And then my youngest, uh, he's 10 and he's in fifth grade. As a, as a family unit, I couldn't be prouder. I love being active with my kids. I love being around. It pains me that I had to spend so many years away from my kids, in particular my wife, while she was raising these kids on her own without much support. Most of my career, we were at, at Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty. So deployment after deployment after deployment of being gone, my wife was left running the family, keeping us 
on track, a huge burden for her. So I'm super thankful for having her in my life. And to this day, she, she remains that same person. So yeah, like that, that, that's the number one, but I'll offer you a bit of a professional perspective as well. I had the privilege of serving in the second of 503rd in Vicenza, Italy, affectionately called the Rock. Uh, I did my first combat deployment to Afghanistan as a platoon leader with the Rock and Battle Company. They they later made a, a documentary about it, Restrepo, and there's been several books um, written about our experiences in uh, the Korangal Valley. So that was like my formative experience as as an officer, as a leader, as a warfighter. Every every day, I'm thankful that I had the men to my left and right, you know, there with me. I just can't, I can't say enough about how great that experience was. And it, and it really served me quite well, eventually transitioning to become a Green Beret and then serving a third special forces group, yet again, serving with incredible NCOs, officers and warrant officers that knew the trade. They kept me alive, taught me so much. I'm just appreciative of the experience and the opportunity to, to continue to serve in units like the Rock and then later third group. So really, the, those are the two things that I'm really most proud of uh, since I graduated. And Mike, I'm going to ask you maybe a follow-up question that combines the two. So I think everyone knows on the podcast that I'm a father, new father, I'll say two and a half year old twins, but I have a much greater appreciation for parents who are serving, uh, you know, as a 20 year old, whatever, lieutenant, I was just kind of like, I'm going to do my own thing. And so you are one of our classmates, you know, who had children early have had a very successful military career. That's not over yet, right? Still there. That's right. Um, but but how have you been able to balance just raising, you know, three kids with your wife and then also having such a, an awesome career where you were infantry deployed to, you know, tough assignment right off the bat, deployed with a unit that was just, you know, in, in heavy battles. And then also you're able to go to special forces. Like what's the takeaway in terms of like how you were able to find the balance uh, along being successful in both uh, roles? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm able to separate work from home life pretty easily. Not everybody has uh, that ability. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think others take home work. And I have tried to make a clear line between work. You know, even though I had to work late or get there early, when I got home, I was all in on being a parent, being active. And frankly, like my wife held me accountable from day one of deploying and coming home with a daughter there. I had my first daughter actually while I was deployed on that first deployment I described. Wow. So my wife held me accountable and it kind of sounds brutal, but maybe she, she, she didn't give me much <laughs> leniency. Like you can't get home and like dwell on what you just did. It's like, we need you here. We need you to be a part of this family. We need you to make decisions and be active. And I've done that and I enjoy doing that. And that, that helps. I think really it all boils down to the way my wife and I communicate like we communicate frequently and we make decisions as a parental team and that has like increased our and, and solidified our bond as a couple. Yeah. And it's been super helpful to have her support after each deployment or each time I go away from training or an exercise. And I think that is my key to, to success. Hopefully others have that same experience, but I know that it's not, it's not universal. Yeah. And Mike, if I could just ask a quick follow-on question about your wife, like how did you two meet since you said you got married in December right after <laughs> yeah. um, West Point? I mean, we could, if, you, if, you, if you'd like to share, otherwise you can also cut this out. <laughs> sure. I'd love to share. All right. So my wife and I met actually when we were in high school. So I'm from San Antonio. Like I said, she's from Houston. We both have older sisters and both sisters lived in San Antonio at the time. 
And I think I needed a date. I was in JROTC in high school. I needed a date to like our, our winter military formal. And I guess I was a pretty shy guy back then. Like I couldn't find my own girlfriend. So my sister's like, I got you. So she asked my wife's sister, is your sister interested in coming to San Antonio to go to this dance with my brother who she's never met? And of course she said yes, because it turns out my wife and I are very similar. So it was a good match. But here's the funny thing. We went to this dance together, first time meeting each other, one night dance, and then she was back to back to Houston. And then I reciprocated by going to her dance. She went to an all-girl Catholic school in Houston, and I reciprocated by going to her winter formal. Now, my wife is two years older than me, so I was a sophomore and she was a senior, about to go to college. <laughs> and I professed that I loved her <laughs> like a crazy man. <laughs> As a sophomore does. <laughs> As a sophomore does, trying to find love at an early age. But I knew I loved her, and I, I know I scared her off, but it was, it was perfectly fine because we both went our own ways. She went to college. I eventually went to you know, our Rockbound Highland home, and then we rekindled our relationship at the end of the second semester of, of my junior year, so she had already graduated college. She was still looking for love, and she knew that I did love her because I told her so. <laughs> so we started dating that semester and we never looked back and we got married right after we, you know, right after we graduated, not like the week of like a lot of our right. classmates, but in short order by December, we were, we were married and it's been a, it's been a whirlwind since. Yeah. That's a great story. I feel like, you know, she, she, you found the right partner to hold you accountable. I mean, you confessed your love to her as a sophomore. So that's just great to hear like how you guys met <laughs> and uh, you know, how you've, been able to stay together all these years. If you're picking up what I just put down, though, I have a 15-year-old daughter, so it scares the hell out of me thinking that some 15-year-old boy or her telling another person that, you know, she loves them or he loves her at this age, like, man, what was I thinking? But when yeah, you know, you a... know, right? I guess that, that's that's the message here. And, that just and, and uh, I, put, and, put a new level of fear into all the parents' uh, classmates. <laughs> and it may have, man. But I'll tell you, like, today of all days is my parents 50th anniversary oh wow so happy anniversary to to you guys they're actually in san francisco right now celebrating they went back to the same exact restaurant where they had their first date 50 where's the restaurant 50 52 years ago scomas scomas 39 yeah very nice yeah so talk about like you know love and knowing right away i mean my parents got married at at a very young age and i hope that my wife and i break 50 years uh, without even thinking about it. There you go. Well, you know, you just shared an interesting fact. Our next question is more about interesting facts. So I'm going to just ask you, what do you wish more people knew about you? Or maybe an interesting fact that, you know, uh, people don't know. So recently I started training to do a half Ironman. This may not be that interesting to some folks, but this is what I'm going to talk about nonetheless. I've spent years and years doing endurance racing obviously by virtue of like what I do for a living, but on the side as a personal endeavor, I try to make a habit of signing up for like a marathon or an ultra marathon once a year to just have a, have a goal to train towards. So that's why I looked to the uh, half Ironman as kind of my next, my next uh, act. So I did that half Ironman in May. I d- it just did it a few months ago and I totally fell in love. Now that not, this is not my first rendezvous with the, uh, 
triathlons. I've done sprints and I did tri- a bunch of triathlons as a, as a young kid, but this is my first at this distance. So I spent the better part of, you know, four or five months training for it. And I totally fell in love with that, the, the three disciplines, the training plan, you know, it, it's brutal to train for a race like that because you're like always running or you're always on your trainer and you're at the pool more than you want to be. But I absolutely love the experience. So like the day after I signed up for my next half Ironman here in Florida and I signed up for a full Ironman and uh, one of our classmates actually just posted his his ambitious goal of doing an Ironman this same year as well. And uh, I posted my response saying, hey, man, that's that's great. Like, look at you doing it all. Like, I also signed up for one, too. What are, are we crazy? So this spurred like a bit of a conversation by email with a couple other classmates who've done one. The point is, is like I'm I like to set goals much like many of our classmates. And this is kind of the next the next frontier for goal setting for me. But I will tell you that this has been a challenge. This this kind of training has been a challenge for me for a couple of reasons. Years ago, during one of my combat deployments, I had a vehicle rollover and hit my head on a window and it caused TBI, neck trauma. And I have, you know, back problems from other things, probably jumping out of airplanes, just just like a lot of our classmates. And then I have chronic pain and, and reoccurring issues. I tore my hamstring not too long ago. I broke my foot, just trying to be the best athlete and warrior that I could be. So all these things have made my goal setting, my training, even work and personal life difficult at times. So I'm trying to overcome these. I'm trying to get the support and help from professionals to get back to the best version of myself. But like you've heard over and over again, and as you know yourself and and many of the the podcast guests have said in the past that everybody experiences these events differently. That is TBI or IED blast or PTSD. So I'm on a journey to to get the help that I need so that I can train for these races with without pain and without maybe mental fog or confusion. And I, my wife is fully supportive. She's, she's here day in and day out. She lets me buy the next cool guy gear that I need to <laughs> run my race and the extra set of shoes and the ice bath that's sitting in the garage. that's in a way of her car door. Like she's super supportive, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to figure out, what my future looks like. I, I don't want to be in this state of confusion and pain and uncertainty for the rest of my life. And unfortunately, uh, and maybe fortunately, I'm a bit of a hardhead kind of guy, like I'll push through the pain to accomplish these goals, but at risk of causing further pain and damage that may be long-term. So I'll stop there and see what you got to say about that. <laughs> well, Mike, I was going to ask you, in talking with other classmates who've trained up for similar events, you know, and also probably have similar experiences in the military. Like, has anything worked for them that you've uh, heard? Or like, has anything recently worked for you that you'd like to share with the audience in terms of, or, or maybe it's something that, hey, this this might be looking into and you kind of want to explore it further. So for the training, I'll say that our classmate Dan Kruger shared with me his eight page dissertation about his Ironman experience. And I know a few other guys who've done an Ironman, but none of our classmates that have confessed to me that they've done one. But Dan's description of his training and his challenges and opportunities during his training path, like, assured me that, you know, my one day of missing a run this week because my hamstring flared up will not 
it'll not break the bank. It won't prevent me from doing the race. So I appreciated that perspective and, and his insights on doing it. Now, what I'm doing for the other symptoms I described, head fog, TBI, chronic pain and injuries, like I'm going to physical therapy as frequently as I can. I'm seeing two different physical therapists. I'm enrolled in the SOCOM Warrior Care Program, which offers you a VA inpatient opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of that. It's like a three-week assessment where they can actually like really deep dive each one of your symptoms and try to actually get you some help because we all know that the military health system is not that great. So if you if you choose to go to see your PCM or your team doc or your battalion surgeon or whatever, it's typically like a band-aid solution to just get you through the week or through the, the training modality or into the next deployment. But they're not looking long-term holistically. They're not incorporating, you know, meditation or yoga or nutrition. I mean, so holistically, I'm trying to look at all of those things now. And I did a really terrible job the first 10 years. Like it was, okay, we're going to run four days a week. We're going to rock a day. We're going to lift as much as we can. We're going to eat and drink as much as we can all the time, uh, just trying to survive and be the strongest and best leader I could be. But the risk in doing that is that you end up like me now that it's miserable to wake up in the morning and your body feels completely broken. But there is some hope because when you look holistically at your health and you start like isolating maybe what the root causes are, maybe it's sleep apnea, maybe it's poor diet, or maybe it's poor behaviors, right? Terrible behaviors, like uh, maybe it's drinking or, or eating bad uh, food then maybe you have a glimpse at what the, the what the long-term solution is for that root cause. No, it makes sense. Uh, I know you were just talking about kind of looking long-term and maybe I'll transition to question four, which is what's something currently in the works or in the future that you're most excited about to share with our audience? Well, I've loved listening to your podcast because it seems like all of our classmates have way more to say about cool things that they're working on than maybe I could offer. But I will say that I'm in the retirement window. So all of our years post-graduation plus my prepster year puts me within striking distance of the 20 years you need to retire. So I've dropped my retirement paperwork thanks to the Army for expanding that to two years. It allows me to signal to the command and HRC that I no longer want to serve. My family and I collectively decided after our long assignment overseas that this would be our last PCS. It's the fair thing to do for my family who's never really had an opportunity to, to grow or establish roots anywhere. And in particular for my daughter who was entering high school when we arrived here to Tampa. So I owe it to her and I owe it to my sons to allow them to stay at one place and build up their social network and invest in their futures. They may not stay in Tampa and that, that's fine, but at least through high school, we're going to stay here. So mm-hmm. what does that mean for me? I'm like a year and I don't know, four months away from being able to take that six month skill bridge internship. SOCOM has something similar that we can do uh, with companies in the Tampa Bay area. And I've got a ton of leave built up. So I hope to be able to sprinkle that in the months, you know, before leading up to the skill bridge. But the next year is really my opportunity to figure out what I want to do with my life after I retire. And we've been focused on one thing and one thing only, those that are still in uniform, right? A few years ago, I thought I was going to get out. I thought after the 10-year mark, I went to NPS, had a service obligation. So I, I was serving those uh, in a KD position. 
and not really loving life. I love the unit. I love, I loved the soldiers there. The deployments were fine, but uh, a series of bad bosses, maybe I didn't get a fair shake. I just wasn't enjoying as much as I thought I should be. And I know Katie, you're stuck. And I was willing to put in the work, but like the return on investment wasn't, wasn't what I anticipated. So I went and got an MBA. I did a night MBA program, which was completely brutal because here I am doing a Katie assignment from, let's just say six to six, get home for an hour of dinner, an hour of food. And then I'm in classes for two straight years. So the night program very much mirrors what the resident program looked like at UNC Chapel Hill. So I did that for two years and I know several of our classmates have gone there as well. And I had a bunch of mentors that said, hey, this, this is a good program to do. And I did it because really my first master's, nobody knows what a master's of defense analysis is. It's, it's an MS, <laughs> but like I tell people it's a master's of problem solving and organizational change or, or modern warfare or something like that. That means more than defense analysis. But contrary to you know the first master's, everybody knows what an MBA is. <laughs> so I, I got an MBA thinking very like, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of the service. Maybe even I'll, I'll do reserves. I don't know. I, I probably didn't even go through like a proper co-dev got the MBA. And then it turns out that my next boss was amazing. And he gave me the autonomy uh, I expected as a mid-grade field officer. I enjoyed the work I was doing. And then that domino fell and the next one was the even better boss. And that one, even after that was even better. And then I got an opportunity to go serve in Israel as the liaison between SOCOM and the IDF. So kind of alone and unafraid on my own out there trying to make decisions that I think were in the best interests of, you know, the U S government and, and my command in particular, all that to say that I am now looking forward to that next chapter of what, what I'm going to do here in Tampa. So I'm, I'm spending a lot of time, doing informational interviews, uh, expanding my network, and it's been fruitful so far. I definitely have some some leads, but you know, like I think Doc Young was like, "Hey, if anybody out there needs a guy, I'll be I'll be your coffee man any day." I, I so maybe I'll I, I, the, the same thing is true for me. Like I, I am looking for a job. I'm lo- not a job. I don't want a job, right? I, I want like right. something that is satisfying that I think that I'm value added to an organization, I can leverage my skills, experiences, and education to bring value to the to that team. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's so fitting that the Army brought you to your final PCS of Florida, right? Because that's where everyone goes to retire. Yeah. Um, but we have a ton of classmates, right, that are all over. I know we just you know created a lot of drama saying everyone's either in California, Texas, or the East Coast. But I feel like you know we've got our network is is out and about everywhere, and you know our classmates know people, and I'm sure we can you know help make some introductions to Tampa. So hopefully more classmates here, you know, as we're we're seeing and, and hearing from more classmates who are getting retired, like this is the right opportunity to like connect with folks. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Mike, I'll jump to question five, and this is our grip hands question. You know, we last had on the podcast Sam Dean. He's currently, as a as kind of background for you, he's currently on a educational trip with his family kind of across the U.S. And he actually just visited with classmates in Reno, Nevada, last time I caught up with him. So his question, his Grapan's question is, when was the last time you visited a classmate? That's a great question, Sam. Thanks for that. And I would love to hear about your trip across the U.S. because my, my family and I would love to do something like that. And I think we had plans to do like a two-week RV trip through, you know, co- uh, Colorado and Arizona and Utah this summer. So that, that's a that's a good question. To be frank, I've been a bad friend and bad classmate for, 
for a long time. I didn't really reach out to anybody until just recently. So your podcast has helped facilitate that. Obviously, we talked about Derek. I think before your podcasts were like gaining steam, I created a uh, WhatsApp group for my company classmates. I created an email chain. So we started getting the conversations rolling in that way, which was great to hear how, you know, my fellow Anaconda uh, classmates, A3, are doing post-graduation and they're all different. I mean, we've got guys who are all doctors and people are very successful in business and entrepreneurs. I'm just so impressed uh, of all the cool things that our classmates are doing. But specifically, the classmate that comes to mind that I actually had a rendezvous with recently was Alex Deep. So Alex actually works in the same command that I work in, but we work in two different directorates. So we would never, ever see each other. But Alex is on loan up to the Pentagon because he's an incredible mind. And he spoke to his boss about his future after he retires. And uh, it kind of led way to this opportunity for Alex to kind of work in the Pentagon. So my team and I were up there doing uh, an engagement and Alex and I connected and I invited Alex to dinner with my team and I, and Alex joined us for a rather entertaining night of dinner and drinks. And it was just so cool to connect with them. And Alex and I go way back, way back. We were both Arabic majors together. And I think Eric, uh, Eric he was a Arabic in, gosh, what was he? Like an econ or poli sci guy also. So he was a double major going back to his, his giant brain. But we, we spent the night together just hanging out and catching up and talking about the past and things that we did together. We did a study abroad together in Syria when we were cows, which was <laughs> really cool. We did it with two other of our classmates and that was an incredible experience. So we were re- reliving a bit of that and speaking Arabic to one another in front of my, my teammates who <laughs> thought we were absolutely crazy over a couple beers, just like entertaining ourselves. But it, it was fantastic to catch up with him. I do have plans to actually go and see one of my closest friends, from the academy, we've remained friends to this day, but a bit of lapse because of work and family life. Uh, Oaken Ewens, another A3 classmate, he lives in Salt Lake. I'm going up there for like a guy's weekend to ski, and I reached out to Oaken. Uh, haven't spoke to him in some time, unfortunately, and said, "Let's get together, let's have lunch and, or or dinner and have a beer." So that is on the horizon. That's on the calendar. I'm really looking forward to it, and and I hope I can continue to to sync up with other classmates that I was close with and then maybe even become close with other classmates. I didn't know that well while we were there. Yeah. And I know hopefully we'll see at the 20 year reunion. I mean, that was the whole reason why I started this podcast, but if I recall just for the the audience, this would be your first reunion. Hopefully you can make, right? Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately I've missed all the reunions before this for one reason or another, I was deployed or in training or in an exercise or just living overseas. And that, that made it a challenge in itself to get back to the States but yeah, the, the 2-0 will be my first reunion. And I was just asking Matt for the audience, are we allowed to bring our families? I didn't know <laughs> if it's taboo to bring your families or not, but my family has never been to the grounds. Obviously, my wife went there a little bit when we were dating, but I want to show my kids the the grounds. I think it's so incredible. And, and maybe I have one or more of my kids that want to go to an academy. I don't care which one. I prefer West Point, but you know, oh, we'll they, edit that out. <laughs> yeah. If they, if, if they want to serve their country and, and go to one of the academies, I am all about it. Just stay away from the tunnels. We'll just make sure to tell yeah. them that. <laughs> awesome. With that, I want to pivot to our last question. And uh, what do you want to ask the next classmate? 
Yeah, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to ask a question. I think this is a really important part of what you're doing here to, to give us some skin in the game for how the podcast goes. I actually had to think long and hard about it, but here's what I arrived at. So when you started the Academy, either as a plebe or maybe fast forward just a little bit to after yuck year, when you finally committed to, to serving not only your final two years, but the Academy, what was your plan and where did you think that you would end up? And Mike, I'm going to pose that question back to you, as you you know, for all these podcast episodes. So if you could answer the question, where did you think your future would look like? Or where did you think you would end up? That's a tricky question to answer for me. I definitely knew I wanted to serve 20 years, but I didn't give much more thought to like what after the one year mark looks like. <laughs> I, you know, when we left the grounds, I knew that I was going to be an infantry officer. I knew that I was going to Italy. And after that, right? I just kind of made up my own story. I had always had a desire to go SF. I think a lot of our classmates did, but I didn't go to selection as a cadet. I kind of took the easy path as a cadet, but you know, later once like in uniform, once I have the rank on, started to realize that the infantry wasn't my long-term home, though I loved it for the few years that I was there. I had plans on going into SF and uh, I was afforded that opportunity and successfully passed all the training and then continued to serve at third group, as I'd already mentioned. But I didn't see that. I, I didn't see that in my in my life forecast. I just knew that each each assignment, I was just going to try to maximize my time. There. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a planner through and through. Like my wife will tell you that like the next two years, the retirement path is like, it, it's it's very detailed. I know exactly what days I'm going to take leave and which days I'm going to do permissive TDY and when I'm first available for, for hiring. But I didn't, I didn't have that determination and, and time management, you know, skill under my belt, I think at that, at that early age. So the goal was 20 years. It was a little shaky there in the middle, but I'm going to make, I'm going to make it to, to the goal. I'm going to make it to two zero and then move on to the next thing. So I, I don't think I've deviated much from that desire to, to serve my country. Nice. That is a, a good example. Uh, I feel like that any, you know, plebe or yuck right now who's currently a cadet, you know, as they're thinking about where can my career end up, like you don't necessarily have to have it all planned out, even though, you know, you're yeah. doing that right now with your retirement. Like you just get over that first year or at least have a, a sense of where you might want to be. But uh, the army will take you obviously where, where it takes you. Um, exactly. But that's part of the beauty of the journey. So perfect. Thanks, Mike. I'm just going to quickly recap, you know, everything that I, I learned from your stories today. You know, thanks again for sharing about the nods and the tunnels. I, I feel like half of our classmates maybe know about that. The other half are kind of like, I just stayed in Ike the whole time. Like, you know, if, if you were on, <laughs> on room restriction or something. So we'll make sure to get Joe Davis on the podcast to get his perspective. Uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing too about your upbringing and your family and how you met your wife. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to just hear about, you know, your journey, your career, excited to follow your Ironman journey as well and your, your path to recovery. And then congrats on the pending retirement. So again, any classmates out there who, you know, have a hookup or a network that they want to introduce Mike to, um, you know, reach out to him and hopefully we'll see you at the reunion, Mike. So with that, any, any last call to action for our classmates from you, Mike, before we wrap up? Yeah, Matt, again, thanks for the opportunity to, to speak on the podcast and, and connect with you and, and our classmates, though virtually, uh, I think this is really important to bring us all together. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing from classmates that I haven't heard from in quite some time, potentially seeing them all in short order here. The only call to action that I can think of is that I would love to see some of my A3 classmates on the podcast. And I hope some of those are already in the works and I may not know about it, 
but they have a lot of good things to say, great things to say, actually way more interesting than me or anything that's going on in my life. So maybe I'll offer up a name right now over to you, Kevin Calkworth, my roommate of many years at the Academy. It's your time to shine, buddy. <laughs> we'll make sure to tag him in the post as well. <laughs> great. He's doing so well. Yeah, we, we don't connect that often, but I, I follow him on LinkedIn and, and we have connected you know, over the years occasionally. And I'm just impressed by Kevin still to this day. Yeah. And that WhatsApp group, you know, make sure you can also call them out there and just, you know, drop my number and uh, they can, they can reach out to me. Will do. They want to Thanks tell their so story. Well, thank you again, Mike. And to our classmates and the audience for listening in until next time, never falter, never quit. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to O6 Answers. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on O6 Answers are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the United States Army, Department of Defense, or any other agency, organization, company they have or currently work for. Nor does its use imply endorsement of our opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. Any material presented here is for general information purposes only. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at O6 Answers.